2: and Airbnb, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: The Squareball Podcast. Hello there. Welcome to this bonus edition of the Squareball Podcast in which we bring you the best bits of the chat that we had with Angus Kinnear, Legion United's CEO. He popped into our new studio just around the corner from, uh, from Ellen Road to see us and bring us an update on everything that's going on in LS11 at the minute. And we spoke about loads of stuff including I mean, like the ground expansion, some new information in there, uh, transfers, the commercial revenues, we even found out what Rock Nation do. We should really give these
1: really clickbaity titles, things like the truth about Rodrigo de Paul. 55,000 seats a fantasy, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> Um,
0: Well, you might hear this. This is our generic intro that we're recording for all the little bits of this that we put out. So apologies if you have heard this before, if you're on like a second or a third listen. But we just wanted to say that it's over on um, the Extra Ball, which comes as part of TSB Plus, our new subscription package. If you fancy checking that out and getting the exclusives and stuff like this and uh, early access to the Match Ball, have a look at thesquareball.net forward slash plus. In the meantime, enjoy our chat with Angus. (laughs) On transfers then, you said we can probably look forward to a quiet window in January. I don't think that comes as a huge surprise to anybody. Although, you know, always the fans always want more, more, more. It's just the, the nature of the beast, isn't it? I get the sense from the, the summer window that when it comes to recruiting players for, for Bielsa's side, it's, it's more about getting the right player than necessarily signing somebody for a position. You want exactly the right players because I know you do a lot of research on acquiring players and I guess we'll talk about Rafinha in a minute. Would it be fair... To say that if the right player did come up in January, that you would be willing to do something there, or is it a case that we're looking more ahead to the summer now?
2: We're always open to taking opportunities, and Rafina was was just that type of opportunity. So there is a there is a list of our core targets that that we're going after, and then there are other players that we think you know obviously we would love, but for whatever reason we don't think they're they're within our within our reach. It might be because they're happy at their club, their contracts long. Their salaries too high. Their their wages are too high. They wouldn't consider coming to Leeds, and and that's where we we rely on Victor's network of contacts when he gets the call of actually a week before the window closed, Rafina is now available. You know we didn't think he would be, and he suddenly jumps to the top of our list. Now there is always the chance that something happens like that in in January, but the reality is you know in in January is that the time it takes. Firstly, it's not a. Um, it's a very difficult window to generate any value in because people are normally panicking and therefore paying over the odds. and We don't want to do that. The second thing is the summer window closed much later than it normally does. So January is coming much sooner and therefore the need to readjust isn't, um, it isn't required. And uh, the third thing is, as we all know, you know Marcelo takes weeks to integrate a player into a squad and we, we support that and it's the right thing to do and it's proven successful. But if you buy somebody at the end of the January window and they take six weeks or eight weeks to adapt and, and to get up to Marcelo's fitness level and to understand the system, you're really only buying them for the last you know, month of the season. So any purchase that we ever would make in January now, and I think we've learned this in, in, the, in the last couple of days, and any purchase in January now would really be for next season rather than for this season. So there's going to be no, um, I think it'll be very unlikely to sort of see any kind of knee-jerk reaction of filling a position or a gap now. It'd be more, actually, this player's become available and we need him for the long term. which is why, you know, to manage expectations, I think it's going to be quite...
0: I'm interested to get your take on Rodrigo de Paul and we were very vocal on Twitter as the square ball having a bit of fun with that and uh, tweeting him and I mean I was there one night and I nearly dropped my uh, my bowl of porridge when um, when I saw he replied to the tweet that we I can't remember exactly how it unfolded now but it was good fun was that well from our perspective anyway from yours I imagine that's created a bit of a problem. Yeah I mean
2: it was it was one of those uh, in the viral world you know, I think now you know, previously you know there might be a transfer rumour which might have a an element of truth to it and then it would die quite quickly. There's others where they have an element of truth, and then suddenly people, people like you guys, get behind them. <laughs> and uh, sorry about that. Um, and you know, Victor and I are sitting there going, "Where is this coming from?" As he suddenly becomes, you know, our, our number one target. And uh, but you know, the reality is in the world of in the world of internet rumors, the link between who we are actually going for and what's read about. I mean, you know, Victor and I just sit and laugh at the uh, mm. at the list of players that we're that we're linked with, and um, it's. Uh, Normally, you can tell when something's got some infamy; it starts to be, it starts to become repeated, and there starts to become some sort of more solid evidence, solid evidence to it. But I, I would say, you know, ninety percent of what I read is close to being sort of laughable.
1: Robin Cock aside, everything happened fairly quickly, didn't it? This summer, he was the only one, the only name that circulated for a number of weeks, I think, before before the actual signing.
2: Yeah, and that's the best. That's the best way for it to. That's the best way for it to happen. These long protracted ones don't tend to end. You know, don't tend to end as well. so it, it's a really complicated process where you are keeping tabs on hundreds of different situations of players and and you know there could be you know players are playing with their with their man with new managers and they they might be part of their plans, they not might not be part of the plans, they're waiting for those they're waiting for those decisions. So it was um it's sort of fast moving and fluid, which is why it's also, and I think I know it's frustrates supporters, it's sort of difficult to give clarity on what the exact plan is because I thought we were done. And then we bought Rafina. So if I don't know, it's very difficult for me to, <laughs> to communicate it to everybody else.
0: So I guess an inquiry for a player, and there will be hundreds of those, does not necessarily translate into an offer or negotiations. Is that kind of the, the landscape? Absolutely. Yeah. In, in the majority of cases, it wouldn't. You know, you
2: only make an offer when you're effectively in a fairly sure position that it's going to be listened to, and it's the start of a negotiation. Except for the exception of Ben, of ben White, when we did it, thought we be told no and were you yeah. know, s- several several times but that was that was a different situation but generally the, the, the work is done behind the scenes before you get to that sort of
1: public offer or public interest level
2: Who bought the fish and chips? I think that was uh, I think that was Digital Wilson
1: How many things does he suggest like that that you have to tell him no? <laughs>
2: most <laughs> Most He's um, uh, we're, in,
1: we're in the Premier League now behave <laughs>
2: <laughs> No he's uh, I mean he's great he's got a, a brilliant sense of, uh, of what supporters are thinking but we do sometimes have to uh, have to keep him caged. Uh,
0: so, what did you think then when when you saw Rodrigo De Paul declaring his interest in coming to Leeds? I, I, that's what I'm kind of interested in. Is what from a you know you and Victor kind of looking at each other going, what has he just done? It's an odd one because it's an odd way to
2: do that. I mean, to be fair, we knew at that stage that he had an interest, but all other elements of the deal didn't work, so we sort of written you know we kind of written it off. So it wasn't it wasn't a surprise, but it, it's odd for a player to declare his interest without having some degree of surety that that something's gonna happen because mm. you know, it burns bridges, doesn't it? Exactly. I'm not sure, you know, his current fans will be particularly
0: chuffed by that. You know, so unless you know you're gonna go. But um not all players are fully media trained. Back to Rafina then and and the signing of him coming late in the window. Can you tell us a bit about the background to that deal? Because we were talking off air beforehand about how you might not necessarily If you were to describe the stereotypical Brazilian, the the phrase that always comes up is, can they do it at Stoke on a Tuesday night in February kind of thing? And you get the sense that Rafinha could. Yeah, I I
2: mean, it's a a filter that we know we have to put our players through now. You know, Marcelo is so exacting, so demanding. It's unfair on Marcelo and the player himself to put them in an environment where they're not going to uh, be able to deliver and and cope with it. And we have made that mistake historically and we can't make it again because um, your mistakes are magnified in the Premier League because you're not making... £2 million signings, you're making £17 million signings. So, Victor and I are very conscious that if we get it wrong, they're hard to reverse out of. And that's why uh, Victor and his scouting team, you know, they look at the stats, they look at the data that, you know, the stats are really revealing because you can look at players' work rates through all their games and look for consistency. You can see a player whose head goes down and says, I'm not fancying this, and, you know, wanders up and down the touchline. But also they, they overlay that with recommendations and speaking to people and, you know, it's, that's where your network of who do we know who's played with him before? Who do we know who's coached him before? What environments has he been in previously? When we meet them, what's the family like? Do they turn up with a massive entourage? what are the questions that they ask. And that's where you see, and I think you've seen it from Rafinha, you know, he's not a um, uh, tricky Brazilian, you know, winger. He's that and a dog of war. Who's going to run through walls for Marcelo and and you know that that's the type of player Marcelo wants.
0: He's got scary levels of focus in his eyes. He's a cold-eyed killer. <laughs> I think he is. What's the post-Brexit transfer market going to look like? Because fans may not be aware that there are slight changes coming in in the new year.
2: Yeah, so we've been working with the Premier League on the on uh, the um, snappily titled uh, post-Brexit access to talent, um, which uh, is exactly how do we work through the immigration system when Brexit comes in in January. And the the tension is between the Football Association who are uh, believe that uh, they need to protect against an influx of, of foreign talent so that they can um, develop British talent and, and, and bring homegrown players through to the England team and the Premier League teams who believe that uh, the best way to deliver for the England team is to create as competitive and as high quality a domestic market and then the English players will naturally rise to the top and and therefore we've been having this debate that we don't think that protectionism i you know enforcing people to have more British players and therefore taking British players who are not quite as good and hoping that they're going to get better isn't the model and the best model and we think all the data proves this is you need British players to come and play with the best of the best from europe and internationally and that's how you get a brilliant England team the England team is stronger than it ever has been before it's um performing at every level right right down through the age groups. And we think that's because, you know, the Premier League's the best league in the world. So for us, it's about a it's about a, a quality model. And what you need is you need Calvin Phillips playing with Rafina and Rodrigo and, and that type of player. So there's been a bit of tension, but I think we're now in a position where the FA and the Premier League are, are aligned. And actually the post-Brexit rules are not going to be significantly different from where they were previously. They'll be a little bit more restrictive, but um, in most markets, we still should be able to sign the players that we want.
1: To look at it in reference to our current squad then, is there anyone in either the main squad or the under-23s who... With the new rules, we wouldn't have been able to sign, do you think, or do you think we were kind of more or less in line with it anyway?
2: With the original proposals before they were changed, there was five or six players who wouldn't have been able to play for Leeds, and that would have been really damaging. And obviously, across all across the Premier League as a whole, people were very concerned about that, because it, it's about, rather than, at the moment, uh, if you're a European citizen, you've got free movement, what they were talking about doing was putting a similar point system in for European players as we have for international players, where you know, you have to be in an international, and you have to play seventy-five of percent of the of the last number of international games. That would have been very restrictive. We've moved on for that, so we think we can plot a way through it. Although my understanding is, it's only an interim measure, so it's still, for the long term, still needs to be sorted out.
1: Which players would, would they have been? Just out of interest,
2: it was some of the big players this season. I think I think Rodrigo would have been fine, but I think it was
1: Melier or someone maybe, or Rafinha uh, as well. Maybe I think it was yeah,
2: I think it was Rafinha and either Cock or Urente who wouldn't who wouldn't have made it. Under some of the proposals, so it would be, and and it became obviously it was a it was very very high profile conversation. The Premier League to fix it, and and I think you know the Premier League's been such a fantastic export, we have a very good argument why it still should be able to retain or secure the best European talent, and at the same time deliver fantastic you know academies and fantastic young players coming through. Which you know, if you look at the current England team, the team that Gareth's put together at the moment is based on fantastic young England talent coming
0: through. A lot of right backs. A lot of right back,
1: <laughs> poor Luke. It um, could it could be getting a game.
0: I his, think. his time will come. His time will come. And is it right? There'll be no under 18s from overseas in future under the new rules.
1: I
2: think that's still to be still mm. to be decided. Okay.
1: Does any of this make a European feeder club a bit more appealing? I know we've flirted with the idea of it before, and Andrea's shown interest in clubs before. But is is this now a, a step where you think okay, maybe it's, it is worth getting that route into Europe for us?
2: I think when when the rules are finally defined. That'll absolutely be something that that if it makes sense to do and can be done, that people will be looking at. Andreas has made no, uh, never hidden the fact that he believes that they, that a, a model of European clubs or a collection of European clubs under under the same ownership um, has some benefit benefits in terms of scale and player development and potentially commercially. And I think that's something he'll con, he'll continue to look at. But until the the uh, immigration rules are are defined for the long term, it's impossible to know whether a feeder club would be the best solution and then where you would locate it.